Hey, welcome to Element. If you're new, uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables around the room. They look like this. And on the front side, you're going to get the verses we're going to hit today. You'll get a little place for notes. You get four questions on the bottom, standard four questions we're asking every week during this series. On the back, you get a little recap of what we're talking about today. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Once you download it, it just says Bible. You'll click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and all that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, and it says, standard Christmas verses, right? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would teach us what it means to understand the favor and the blessings that we have received and that we would in turn move to a place where our lives become surrendered to you and we live out what you have done in us to the people around us. We ask that you would keep your hand today upon this Old Orchid Christmas Eve celebration, that there'd be just tons of fun and that there'd be joy and laughter that goes around, that, we, that you would come through and lift up people's hearts and spirits and lives, that we would be a people who would center back upon who you are. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series called Not So Little Women. It's about different women in the Bible because normally when people tell stories of things in the Bible, it's all about the dudes, you know, like the, like the Gideons or the Ezra's or the Noah's or the disciples. You have all these stories about the guys. And we thought it'd be really cool to look at different stories of women in the Bible and what we could learn from them. And we've talked about a bunch of different women, but today we're going to talk about Mary. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. Mary, Jesus' mom, Mary. And I say Mary. Mary, because there's lots of Marys in the Bible. And the way I wrote this message is different than I did all the other messages for this series. Because what I did normally is I would say, who were they? What's their story? What can we learn? But because there's so much to learn from Mary, I actually started with what can we learn? And that made the first part of the message about who was she and what's her story really short, because there's so many things we can learn. If you look at her life, you can learn different things from different places. Jesus' adolescent years, Jesus' ministry years, uh, his death, his resurrection. But obviously it's Christmas, so we're going to talk about the birth narratives. That's what we're going to talk and look at that. And there's so much, again, that I had to shrink the beginning of this. So if you have a Bible, open to Luke chapter 1. If you're using the app, you're going to be right there. If you're using one of the Bibles at Element, that's on page 555. And so who was and is Mary? Well, Mary is obviously the eventual mother of Jesus. And though our lives should be looked at in light of who he is, she is still a young woman of substantial worth before the virgin birth whatsoever. Now, in the beginning verses of Luke, what you see is this angel shows up to her. Luke 1, verse 28 says, O greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, some manuscripts will actually add, and blessed are you among women. And this is really interesting because the root of that word for favor, it's the word grace. And so God shows up, and he is bestowing grace upon Mary, starting by telling you that Mary is esteemed in the eyes of God because of God's favor, because of God's grace, not because of what she does, but because he has given that grace. Just like in Genesis, you have this guy named Noah. People will say, oh, well, God saved Noah because he was a righteous man. But in Genesis 6, verse 8, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Favor is that Hebrew word for grace. It's the first time it's seen in the Bible. And yet, then it says, verse 9, these are the generations 
generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. But you see, the grace came first before the righteousness. And so when you look at this story, I don't know if the angel is alluding to this or not, but really Noah comes and starts a new humanity and Jesus is going to come and he's going to bring about a renewed humanity. And I think there's so many little bits and pieces we can look at and how that goes together, but I think it's pretty cool. So secondly, what is Mary's story? If you have a Bible, keep your place in Luke. We're going to go back there, but then flip two books to the left to Matthew chapter 1. It's on page 523 if you're using one of the Bibles at Element. Mary's story goes into really who she is, because when you first meet her, Mary is a very young, probably 13, 14 years old, teenage virgin girl from a rural town, and she's engaged to this guy named Joseph. Now, in that day and age, when you got engaged, people would call you husband and wife. You hadn't said the vows, you haven't consummated the marriage, but you're considered husband and wife. And if you wanted to not go through with the engagement to break that off, it would take almost a year or more. So the angel comes to her and speaks to her and says, you're going to give birth to Jesus. And so now she's got to go tell Joseph. And we look back at this story today because in America, it's become so vanilla because we got all the pictures of the manger scenes and all the corners and all that. Like, oh, look, that's so nice. Mary's got to go and tell Joseph, hey, I'm pregnant. We think that's wonderful and amazing, but you got to look at that from Joseph's angle. You wait and you wait, you wait, you give her a ring, you got in, and a date. You probably haven't even kissed her yet in that culture. And then she comes and says, I'm pregnant. What's your response? How could you? That's the response. How could you? You seem so godly. And legally, according to the law at that time, Joseph could have her killed. But what does it say? Matthew 1:19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He's probably saddened. He's probably a little bit embarrassed, but he doesn't want to hurt her. Now, what is Mary's response to this? It is most likely, honey, it's okay. We can still get married. I'm a virgin. And Joseph's response is, I don't think that's how biology works. Okay, that, that's, that's not what happens here. And she probably says, remember Isaiah 7:14? you know, 600 years ago that he prophesied the virgin would be with the child? That's me. <laughs> Ta-da. I mean, we live in a really skeptical society today. You know, what do you think about that? It, some high school girl at a really fundamentalist Christian college ends up getting pregnant. No, no, mom and dad, I'm an Isaiah 7:14 girl. That's <laughs> what happened here. It's a hard sell. So what happens is the angel actually has to go to Joseph and appear to him and say, yes, Mary is still a virgin. The child that is in her is given by the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of that prophecy by Isaiah. And so Joseph obeys God. He marries Mary. He doesn't sleep with her until the child was born. And that's really important because some people try to deify Mary. just like she's near perfect. She wasn't. She she was bestowed grace by God, that favor. That's what we see. And some religious traditions try to say that Mary was a perpetual virgin, that she and Joseph never consummated their marriage. And this is written back when people were trying to separate the physical and the spiritual. And Joseph and Mary both suffered enough. They did get to consummate their marriage. How do we know that? Well, because Jesus has brothers and sisters. James, a book in the New Testament written by one of Jesus' brothers, most likely Jude as well. And and so Joseph becomes this adoptive father who raises Jesus. Now think about this. Do small towns gossip? Yeah, I, we, Santa Maria is not really a small town anymore, but we still gossip. I hear things about you all the time. I just, 
<laughs> I hear things about me too, and I'm like, what? I didn't. Anyway, you know, of course they do. Now, the town doesn't get a visit from the angel, right? Only Joseph and Mary. And so Mary most likely becomes the tramp, and Joseph is the idiot who believed her, or maybe, you know, they don't believe it at all, and Joseph and Mary really did sleep together, and they're just trying to deny it. Today, Mary is seen as like this very godly woman. In that day, she wasn't probably seen that way, which means Mary and Joseph had to trust God's promises their entire lives. And I'm sure it wasn't easy because that accusation actually followed Jesus into his public ministry. In John chapter 8, verse 19, the religious leaders will say to Jesus, where is your father? Essentially, they say, at least we know who our father is. And it's not very subtle. In John 8, 41, they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Oh, See, it follows him. Like if you're ever gonna run for public office, they're gonna find every little thing they can. Happens to Jesus. It's like your mother's the tramp and your dad's the idiot who believed her. Now Jesus does eventually defend them. He will say, I know who your father is, it's the devil. So, you know, he, do, he does defend them, but this is really Mary's story. Like, in the beginning, betrothed young woman loves God, is shown grace, and there's so much more to this, but that's where we're going to start and what we look at today as we go into what do we learn. And I think there's lots of things we can learn, but I'm going to give you four. And if you are someone who kind of questions this story or has questions really about the Bible or the things of God, I think this can help you as well. Because Mary's life here is changed by four things. If you have your Bible, go back to Luke chapter 1. So the first thing that Mary's life is changed by is rational thinking. It's like, I didn't think that's where I was going, but here we go. Luke 1 verses 28 and 29. And he, the angel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, the New International Version will translate that line as, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I like the innocence of the word wondered, but really that word discern in the ESV is a better translation of that because this is the word called dialogue azomai. We get our word dialogue from the midst of that, which means to logic through something, to rationally think. One commentator calls it furious thinking. And most translators don't know what to do because we don't have a direct translation for this word. Translation for this word. And because there's so much that's going on. The angel, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. What does Mary say? Mary doesn't say anything like somebody trying to make up and write down a legend or a myth. She doesn't say, what an honor, I am so pious. The, the Lord has sent me an angel. She doesn't do some miraculous act. She was greatly troubled at the saying, like, what? you talk about what and try to discern what sort of greeting this might be dialogue is oh my she's thinking through it she's analyzing the greeting she's sitting there and saying is this an hallucination is this a dream is this the real thing was the cheese i ate last night bad what is happening and she's going through all of these categories and possibilities and she's asking questions that skeptics would ask when they hear this story am i seeing things again this is not how people would make up stories especially this day and age if you're going to write a story and a legend that is meant to promote the piety of the faithful you don't say and the angel showed up and said greetings and mary said am i going crazy that's not what you do mary sat there and said is this real now, this is really amazing. You know, it's, ever see that David goes to dentist video? 
is this real life? I mean, that, that's kind of what Mary's doing here. This is where Mary's reacting, hopefully, the way that you and I would react or like skeptics would react. And that actually adds credence to this story because, again, it's not how people would write it if they're trying to make something up that said God came in the flesh. And as a matter of fact, we are going to do one more of these Lots of Little Women on Easter when it comes up. We're going to talk about this lady named Mary Magdalene because Mary Magdalene, when she first sees Jesus, she's ready to fight. Like, where'd you put him? And he's standing right in front of her, but she doesn't believe it. And so something has to take place to get Mary Magdalene to move to the place where she believes in the resurrection. We say that people in Jesus' day, oh, they were primitive. They're not like us. We're much more enlightened. We can be skeptical. But both of those Marys were skeptical. Mary is reacting the way most of us would. I mean, ho hopefully. She's trying to figure out and account for this. Am I dreaming? Did I eat something? Is this a flashback? What was in the gummy? You know, all, all those things. And it may have been harder, really, to convince Mary than it would be to convince you because you go see Marvel movies and you see sci-fi stuff. In her day and age, the way the religious traditions went, they didn't really have at that point this accounting of angels showing up or visions or things like that. And something happened to make Mary and the people around her eventually come to the place where they believe that God came in the flesh as a human being, Jesus Christ, and were to worship him. And so did that come through Greek thinking? Because at that time, Greek thinking said matter and the physical realm are bad. So it doesn't come from Greek thinking. And if you think about what about the Greek gods? Well, they were still the gods. They just showed up. This is God taking on human flesh. Nobody from Greek thinking would ever think the creator God would take on human flesh. Well, what about Eastern religions? Well, real Eastern religions, not Americanized versions of Eastern religions, real Eastern religions believe that the matter and the physical world is just an illusion. So no, he wouldn't have become flesh. But what about the Jews? That's a Jewish story. Well, there's no way the incarnation came about and developed out of them because they're the last people who would believe a human being would be God in the flesh and we're supposed to worship him. Jews wouldn't even speak God's name. It's like we have the word Yahweh for God's covenant name with Israel, but that's because the Jews took out all the consonants. All we have are the vowels. So we say Yahweh. Tim Keller about this says, this is a bolt of lightning out of the blue sky. How does a group of Jewish people, the last people on the face of the earth, come to believe this human being should be worshiped. Where did they get this idea? What happened to them to help them overcome that intellectual resistance to this idea? C.S. Lewis once said, the reason I believe in Christianity is because nobody is brilliant enough or crazy enough to have thought this up. And C.S. Lewis spent the majority of his early years in his life trying to dismantle Christianity before coming to faith. So Mary teaches us that we should truly be willing to reason through and to think about things. Are we, really to, are we willing to admit we have no better way to account for the data that Jesus was born a virgin, that he did live this perfect life, that he died for us on the cross and rose from the grave? I think if we look rationally at it, as many people have, you come to a place of saying, wow, something actually happened here. And the second thing goes with that first part, and that is honest doubting. Honest doubting. Mary's first response is not, oh, I'm the Lord's servant. This is great. It is, how will this be? I mean, that's Joseph's question, right? Joseph, I'm pregnant. How can that be? Well, I know how that can be, but it's not mine. How, how can this be? There is a process. And again, you don't make up a legend like this. This is an account of what took place. So Mary says, 
How can this be? So the angel kind of explains this a bit. Luke 1.30 says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. There's the word again. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? How will this be? Now, there's two ways to ask a question like that, right? It's like one's very cynical and rhetorical. How will that be? And you just walk off. And I think that's really cowardly because you don't really want to know. You're just throwing it out there to walk away. But the other way is, how can that be? I'm a virgin. What's going to happen? She knows the virgin birth is impossible. Mary wants real information, and that is humility because it is very brave to be willing to ask questions as you are rationally thinking through things to want to find the real answer. And that's what she is doing. It's necessary if we hope in our lives to ever go into the truth. Luke 1.34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? See, she does understand biology. She gets it, what that's supposed to look like. Now the angel's gonna go into some details, but in Luke 137 we'll eventually say, for nothing will be impossible with God. And this is one of the greatest things I think that's been said or written down. We're going to come back to that. But Mary gets into this process. She starts asking all of the right questions and going towards a direction. And it shows there's actually a kind of doubt and questions that God honors, that God even rewards. And it's not just about rationally thinking. But when your rational thinking makes no sense, do you keep with it? Do you keep asking questions? Because that's what Mary does. And then in her process, the third thing she does is she gets into community with other people. And I'm not just trying to pigeonhole this into making it work for Elements Gospel Community Focus, but the angel says to Mary, Luke 1:36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. Now, Elizabeth is through natural means. She's married. She has a husband. She's just been barren for a long time, and she's really old. And it says, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And then it says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And that's referring to Elizabeth and to Mary. So it's, go see Elizabeth. And so Mary does. And Mary, when he, she sees Elizabeth, is going to sing this song of God's goodness. And it's called the Magnificent. But she doesn't start singing that right after the angel talks to her. She sings that after meeting with somebody else and kind of working through all of these questions in her head. Elizabeth processes these things with her. And I mentioned this last week, that almost none of us come to faith without a community that is around us that God uses in our lives. We talk to others who maybe know a little bit more than we do. And those people talk to other people who maybe know a little bit more than they do. We work through these things together, vulnerability in a community. These are my questions. These are my doubts. And this is where I'm going. So Mary will stay with Elizabeth for three months. And they find a lot of encouragement from one another, a lot of joy there. And out of that joy, Mary begins to sing this song. Elizabeth encourages Mary. She will say, like, do you believe everything God has said and done? And Mary sings her song. And that song shows you about her full surrender to God. Fourth thing, Mary shows us a complete and sincere surrender. That's what she shows us. Luke 1.38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So she says, you know what? I'm going to trust. I'm going to walk. I'm going to rationally think about it. I got my questions. And now I'm going to trust what you have said. One of the most interesting things about the birth of Jesus is his parents don't get to name him, right? The angel says, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why do parents get to name their kids today? Because they're older and they're mostly in charge, <clears throat> mostly, most of the time. Jesus is really the first person ever that's born who is older than his parents. And the angel kind of says, he's going to manage you, you're not going to manage him. And there are lots of people today 
who have all kinds of reasons for not fully surrendering their lives to Jesus. These are lifestyle choices and monetary choices. Maybe you like to swipe right on all the apps or left. I don't know which way you, I'm not, I don't know, but some of you know, whatever way you swipe on, the, on those things, right? Uh, many people want, would say, oh, I'll become a Christian if God would just basically say everything I want to do is okay and make me feel good inside. I get that spiritual uplifting inside. It's like we're always doing this cost-benefit analysis about our lives, but all we're doing in those cases is spending our times looking inward and not Godward. And God calls us to look towards himself. When we ask those questions, when we rationally think, when we honestly doubt, when we get into community, are we looking inward or Godward? Because to follow Jesus at some point means that we surrender. All that we are to all that he is. He is the one who dies. He's the one that rose from the grave. He is the one who made us. He is the one who knows us better than we even know ourselves. And yet he is still willing to get close to us. Our question is, are we willing to get close to him in surrender? And Mary is. After all of her reasoning and doubt, she's willing to give up control of her life because she knows that God knows what he is actually doing. And there's a lot of people today, maybe even some of you, who are scared to do that. You are scared to be as vulnerable as a 13, 14-year-old virgin girl from a tiny dump town. You try so hard to convince everyone you have it all together, but you know deep inside when you're alone and no one's around, you don't really have it all together. I mean, your problem may not be rationally thinking because maybe you've trusted Jesus, but maybe you don't have a willingness in your life to fully surrender everything like Mary did. Because Mary doesn't start, stop with the rational. She doesn't stop with just dealing honestly with her doubts or with community. And there's lots of people who claim the name Christian because they've done all of those things, but they've still never sincerely surrendered. Now, I'd like you, if you have a Bible on you, turn to Mark chapter 10. It's on page 549. If you're using one of ours, that's one book to the left of Luke. And I'm going to talk to you about, I'm going to bring it all together. I'm professional. I'll make it work, okay? Uh, I'm going to talk to you about this different story and bring it all together with Mary. Uh, you're going to feel like it's a left-hand turn, but it's not. There's a story of this guy called a rich young ruler, and he comes to Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and it says this. As he, that's Jesus, was sitting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the rabbinical writings of this day and age were filled with this question over and over, and there was only one answer. The answer was always the same. And when I say always, I don't mean how you fight with your significant other. You always do this. I mean always, okay? It's always the same. There is no differing schools of thought. And the answer was, obey the statutes of God and avoid all sin. That's it. That's what the answer was. And this guy is asking this question. He would know that. So why does he ask Jesus the question? And some people say, well, he's trying to test Jesus. Other people say that he does all these things, so he's trying to get a roundabout compliment. Good job. He did all the right things throughout this. Well, Jesus says a couple things to redirect this guy. And then he will say in verse 21, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So here's a guy. Rationally, he's thought about God, dealt with his doubts. He is in the covenant community of Judaism. He is successful economically, socially, morally, religiously. And he's asking, hey, Jesus, I'm wondering, am I missing something? Because it feels like deep inside, I am still missing something. Of course, something's missing. Because eternal life is not gained by our works. It's given to us by the favor, the grace of God. 
So this guy is trusted in his intellect, in his hard work, but he has never sincerely surrendered his life to Jesus. And so many people today say the same thing this guy has. I've accomplished all these things. I've done all these things, but it feels like there's one more thing I need to do. I asked Siri and she doesn't know the answer. So now I'm asking you, Jesus, what is it? And I think Jesus, what he says here is more honest and a little bit more brutal than most people today. Because Jesus doesn't question this guy. Oh, you didn't really follow the commandments. I know because I saw you when you did A, B, and C. He doesn't do that. So what Jesus kind of says is, I'm not that concerned about the bad things. What I want you to do is I want you to follow me. And of course, people who follow me shouldn't commit adultery or murder. I don't want my followers doing that. But eternal life is deeper than all of that. And so for this guy, he's trying to turn his material wealth his moral goodness, and his and his spiritual treasure to deal with that inner sense of poverty. The very thing that he thought he made him so good, all of his works, his moral goodness, his money, were the things that actually alienated him from God. And he probably saw God as a boss or a helper or an example. He believed God was real, but he does not see God as his Savior. And Jesus proves it when he says, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. People have taken that verse out of context over and over like we're supposed to sell everything we have and live in a box and that's what Jesus, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying something specifically to this guy because if we all sell everything and lived in boxes, there's going to be one or two that don't live in boxes and they're going to have anything. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I want you to imagine your life without the thing that you've given everything to. Imagine your life without money, no trust funds, no houses on the beach, all that's gone and you are just a normal average, everyday guy, and all you have is me. Am I enough? That's what he's saying to this guy. What happens to him? Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Sorrowful is this word for grieved. He grieved because he came face to face with the fact of what his life was really built on. And I think that's one of the things you look at in Mary's story. Mary had to come face to face with the fact of what her life was actually built upon. Is it our own sense of self-righteousness or is it who God has called us to be? And she comes to a place where she sincerely surrenders. See, we are a people who need to understand that we need the grace of God because that's the only way we come into relationship with him. So getting to my point about Mary, I'm, I'm getting there, trust me, okay? So verse 24, Jesus goes on and he says, Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. Now here's the line, for all things are possible with God. That is the line the angel said to Mary. And Jesus repeats it right here. And what Jesus is saying is like Mary, people who are saved are those who know their salvation is a miracle. There's nothing natural about it. Uh, I, I was talking to this guy who was an atheist agnostic. He can't really define which one he is at the point. But, but he, he says, I just can't believe in a, in a God that sits on this cloud with a big old beard like an like a old white man. And I'm like, I don't believe in that God either. You know, I, that, that's not the God I believe in. If that's what God was like, I probably would disbelieve. That's not who God is. 
God is a God who comes and shows us favor. God intervenes in our lives because of grace. All of our efforts to try and make him love us really doesn't make him love us because he already does. We cannot earn God's favor by our own works. God comes to Mary. He sends an angel. God blessed Mary with grace. God did an impossible work with Mary. And after all her rational deliberation, she realizes that. And she comes to that place and sincerely surrenders. I think too often we think that God is looking at us and saying, you better do these 10 things. And if you don't do those 10 things, then I won't love you. He already does love you. And the thing is, I think when we start to think rationally about what he has done, we realize he is not like us at all. He has created us. He has bestowed favor and grace. And we as a people must come to a place where we sincerely surrender. So that's the question, right? What is keeping us from sincerely surrendering to Jesus? You might think you have it all together because you're a pretty good person. At least the people you compare yourself with. I'm pretty good compared to them. But pride is never a byproduct of the gospel. It never, ever is. And the reality is that all salvation is impossible without God and His work in us. Our focus always, slowly but surely, gets skewed towards ourselves. And this is why when we understand true eternal life, how our lives are meant to be given away because God gave His life for us when we look at the cross, because when we understand what Jesus has done, that's what changes us. Our God, who had everything, gave everything to save us. What Mary moves us towards is to understand the absolute surrender of ourselves to the person of Jesus Christ. Because she walks through these rational things like, what is happening right now? She goes through her doubts. And in the end, she comes to the place where she gets in community and then she surrenders. And that's beautiful. Because I think that's really the process for a lot of us in our lives. I think too many people tell others, oh, you can't have questions. You can't honestly doubt. You can't ask these things. I think that the only thing God doesn't want from us is our silence. And I think if you have questions, that is perfectly rational to ask. And I think the best place to ask those is in community with other believers. I think God sometimes works in our hearts for the things that we try and hide to make us ask the correct questions. So we would really come to the place where we trust Him through all of those doubts. Because working through questions and doubts leads us to a place of a greater and stronger faith in Him. But I think that is meant to be done in community with each other. And by God's grace, that's what He's given us. Do you understand that when we use the word church, it's not a building. The church is the people who gather together so that we would walk with one another into places to understand the depth and the goodness of God and what He has done with each other. This is one of the gifts that I think Jesus gave us from His birth and life and death and resurrection is to be able to steer us into this place called the church so we can actually live with one another. At Element, every single week we come to this place of communion. And it's a reminder of what God has done. We do not pass it throughout the room. It's a response. You actually have to get up and you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. And you dip it in the wine or the grape juice. And it's a reminder of his blood that was shed for us because he is the one who came and died and rose and gave himself for us so that we could have a restored relationship with God himself. We can never by our works work our way back into that. But Christ, by what he has done, takes care of all that separated us, not just from God, but from one another. And our relationships get to be restored. And our lives get to be restored. And I think we fully surrender to what he has done. That's when we change. Because that surrender is not making God love us more. That surrender is coming to a place where we understand that we can never save ourselves. So surrendering to all that he has done. 
And if you are here today and maybe you have some questions, you have some honest doubts as you're rationally thinking through some stuff and you want to ask somebody some questions right across the way in the lounge during music or after service, you can go over there. There'll be people who would either love to pray with you or talk with you uh, through some of the things that you're, you're dealing with. We'd love to be able to do that for you. At Element, we are a church who doesn't pass an offering plate. We have offering boxes on the side of all. You can give online, but we don't pass a plate because we believe that how we give is meant to be a response to God's generosity in us as God moves us and changes us. And so that's why we give the way that we do. It's a response. It's, it's, it's worship. I would encourage you guys this week to maybe grab those sermon notes. Just take those four simple questions and look through those and maybe ask yourself the question of, what have I surrendered to? You know, what, what in my life have I given myself to that is not the person in the work of Christ? Maybe you have some questions and you can take time to kind of work and begin to go through those questions. And hopefully that brings you to a place of ultimately sincerely surrendering to what God has done in you and what he's done in me and what he's calling us to be as his people. Those who are centered around the good news of the gospel. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would move us to understand uh, deep inside the goodness that you have given to us as a people. That we would come to a place where we stop trying to make ourselves good enough for you and simply trust in the goodness that you have placed upon us. And then as we come to a deeper understanding of what you have done, that is the thing that would change us to begin to live and love differently. And we thank you for places in, in the Bible that sometimes we try and make different than they are, but the reality that, that Mary had questions. She had doubts, but she also had a community. And you brought her to a place of understanding the great favor that you had placed upon her. And she comes to the place where she sincerely surrenders. And yet we know that probably throughout her life, she stumbles and she falls and into all these places, but yet your favor is still placed upon her because it is your grace. And so I ask that you would teach us to understand that, that we are called to you, that we would surrender ourselves to you, and that in that renewed life, we begin to live out in ways that glorify and honor all who you are. Because our lives in the end are not about us. They're about you and our relationship being restored with you. So teach us like Mary to come to that place of sincerely surrendering all that we are. Because you are the one who is good. Amen. We're going to drop these curtains and... As, as we do, I'd like you just to just take a moment as we kind of run through a couple songs and, and ask God, you know, what, what rational thinking have you done? What honest questions do you have right now? And, and if maybe you're even afraid, like you've been to churches who say, oh, you can never question, you can never, that's not us, right? We think it's very good to be in a spot where you can ask honest questions. And ask God, you know, reveal to me the questions I've really been having, the questions I want to ask. But also be willing to look for the real and honest answers in that. Because the goal of asking questions is not just to simply say, I don't want anything to do with that. The goal of asking questions is come to the place of the truth. 
And that's what God wants for all of us, to live and walk in the truth, which ultimately is his truth. And so I'd invite you to do that. And then as God begins to reveal that to you, and if you're not in community, find some people to step into community with. And if you want us to help you to do that, let us know. Talk to Sarah at the Welcome Center. We'd love to try and connect you with some people so that we can learn to walk this life with one another in community, honoring who God is, worshiping Him for what He has done. Because I think Christmas is one of the most magical times of the year to understand the grace and the goodness of God coming to us. And then come and take communion, uh, sing some songs with us, and then hopefully you'll come and hang out with us this afternoon at the downtown Old Orchid Christmas celebration, sing some songs. Hopefully it'll be pretty cool. Bring a jacket, here it might be cold. And you can pet the jingle squeaks too. It'll be awesome. (laughs) Guys, Jesus loves us more than we can ever imagine. And I just pray that we would be those who in turn respond to the great grace that he has given us.